Know Your Food with Warty, episode 88. For links and more, visit the show notes at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 88. Hey everyone, welcome to Know Your Food with Warty. I'm Warty in Southwest Oregon, a traditional food blogger at ganalfglins.com and knowyourfoodpodcast.com. I'm glad you're here. This is the podcast where we're all about ditching those poisonous processed foods, breaking free from the conventional food paradigm, and instead embracing whole foods raised, saved, and prepared with traditional methods. It's fun, it's delicious, and it's healthy. You're on your way to looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good. Good morning, everyone. Let's jump right in with the tip of the week, and it is perpetual broth. Very appropriate because the topic of today's podcast is on nourishing broth. Well, here's how you can make broth perpetually. It's very easy. There's um, very little mess. There's very little storing of the stock. You don't have to wash your pot daily. You're not always messing with it. You're making stock or broth perpetually. Here's how it works. You need a crock pot. You put your bones, anything else that you use in your broth, like chicken feet, um, in the crock pot and you cover with water. You add a splash of vinegar. You turn it on to high for about an hour. Then you turn it down to low. And every crock pot's going to be different, but this is the basic kind of process. So you have to adjust the heat as necessary. If your crock pot, you know, needs more, then leave it on high longer. If it runs really hot, leave it on high less or maybe not at all. The point is, you're going to bring the heat up, then turn it down to low, and then just let the stock cook. And after about a day or so, or even sooner, if that works for you, you ladle off the stock as you need. You could put it um, in your uh, mug and salt it a little bit to have a cup of broth in the morning. You can add it to a dish or a soup. And the key to keep it perpetually going is that as you remove broth or stock for your cooking or drinking needs, you're replacing the water, replacing water to just keep it going. Now, after a few days, those bones are going to be spent. So after a few days is when you actually want to remove the spent food items and add fresh bones and fresh water if you need, and then just keep the the stock or broth going perpetually. Uh, it's just wonderful. Um, I do it a lot during the winter to just keep stock on hand. You can read more about this at the show notes because there will be a link there, or you can just go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash perpetual, and that's where you can see the whole process spelled out, and there are comments, too, that are very enlightening, so be sure to add your own. Today's listener question comes from Sherry, and she's asking about the vocabulary, a particular area of vocabulary in traditional foods, and it has to do with fermenting and culturing. Here's what she says. I think what is hard is some of the vocabulary. If I don't know the vocabulary, I can't understand much. I've never heard of words like probiotic and kefir, and I don't truly understand fermenting or culturing. Like any subject, the vocabulary is really key to understanding. So Sherry just laid it out there, all the words that are confusing. So this is kind of going to be a a crash course in fermenting or culturing so I can explain the whole vocabulary thing and what all these words represent. Well, within traditional foods, we have, you know, 
lots of important areas of food. I mean, today's podcast, an example of broth. Broth is a very nourishing um, key component of a traditional food diet. Um, another would be um, uh, pastured meats. Another would be frugal beans. And of course, the, the preparations are important here, so they're the most nutritious and digestible. But another key area of traditional foods are fermented foods or cultured foods or probiotic foods. And if you'll notice, Sherry, when I was just talking about them, I'm using those words interchangeably, fermented foods, cultured foods, probiotic foods. They are all, in this case, um, adjectives that describe a type of food, and you can use them interchangeably as long as this adjective is actually a correct representation of what that food is. And so here is what that food is. These foods that are fermented, cultured, or probiotic, they have a live beneficial culture in them. They, um, there's a, a, a population of beneficial organisms, could be bacteria, could be beneficial yeasts, um, or other types of organisms that are beneficial for us. And also, um, they're beneficial in the food because they produce acids that help preserve the food. And um, of course, the food tastes great. So this adjective describes a type of food that has a culture of beneficial microorganisms in it. In fact, if you looked up the word probiotic, the definition of it is it denotes a substance that stimulates the growth of microorganisms, especially those with beneficial properties. So a probiotic food has a uh, culture of microorganisms, and the food is a... um, Food provides a good environment for them to thrive, and uh, so that describes the kind of food. And then we just use those words, probiotic, fermented, culture, kind of interchangeably to describe a food that has that um, population of beneficial organisms. Now, there's another way we can use these words, or two of them. I just use them as adjectives to describe a certain type of food. But you can also use culture and ferment as verbs. You can culture a food. You can ferment a food. And that is the verb, the action, that tells you the process that is happening to the food. And it's the same thing we're talking about. We're just using the word a little bit differently. We're describing the action rather than the type of food. But it's the same thing. When you culture a food, you are either introducing um, one or more beneficial organisms to that food and allowing them to grow and thrive and transform the food into a cultured food. Or like in the case of raw milk, um, you can allow raw milk to spontaneously culture itself, which is where the organisms that are present in the milk, you just allow them to thrive and they multiply and eat the lactose in the milk, produce beneficial acids, um, the acids curdle the milk, And you're just allowing the native organisms, the ones that are already in the milk, to do that work of culturing. So hopefully this is shedding light on this for you, that this process of culturing, fermenting, um, is, is, is the process that describes creating these foods, where we now can use the same words again. We could say fermented foods, cultured foods, probiotic foods. It has to do with the organisms, the beneficial organisms. They're preserving the food. They are multiplying themselves. They're consuming the sugars in the food. And when we eat them, um, they do wonderful things in our gut. I mean, they 
populate our gut with the right sort of organisms. They bring along with them the acids that are very good for us for digestion. And so that's this whole wonderful process. And it's a key component of traditional foods. Now, the other thing you mentioned was you also, um, to, um, exam an example would be kefir. You said you've never heard of kefir before. Well, kefir is an example of a particular food that's fermented or cultured or a probiotic food. And so it's not like the overall process. It's not the overall, um, food group or all foods that are fermented cultured. It's a particular kind. And other examples would be besides kefir for particular types of fermented foods, it would be like kombucha, cheese, sour cream, raw apple cider vinegar. These are all particular types of fermented foods. And they're particular in the sense that the base food is particular. So some start with milk, some start with sweet tea, some start with um, apple juice, <laughs> some start with um, vegetables or fruits like, like a sauerkraut or a chutney. And then they're also particular in the particular organism or set of organisms that does the culturing. Okay, there's a specific set of culture for kombucha, specific set of culture for uh, kefir, for apple cider vinegar, for different types of cheeses, for sauerkraut. So all of these particular types of fermented or cultured or probiotic foods have particular base food and they have a particular culture that does the work, which brings me to the third usage of these type of words. And that is, and it's really only going to pertain to culture, but culture, remember we talked about it, cultured food. It can be an adjective that des describes a food that has been fermented. You can say to culture a food, which is sort of like the action word, the verb to do the act of culturing. But finally, the culture is the particular type of organism or set of organisms that you introduce to a food or might be naturally present on a food that creates a specific end result. And every, not every cultured food, but every like set or type of cultured food, they do have these particular cultures. I mean, like kombucha, the scoby, which is the mother culture, is this flat disc mushroom-like thing. And it's a symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeast and their particular organisms. Um, when we make yogurt, there's lots of varieties of yogurt and each one has a specific yogurt culture, which is the organisms, the specific uh, strains of bacteria that create a specific type of yogurt and so on down the line. So Sherry, I hope this was helpful just to understand the terminology and how the things can be used. And of course, you can visit the show notes at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 88 to add follow-up questions. Hi, I'm Wardy, a traditional cooking expert and food blogger at ganalfglins.com. For years, my family struggled with food-related health problems, but we don't anymore. And I'd love to show you that preparing whole foods with traditional methods is easy, delicious, and super good for you too. So just go to traditionalcookingschool.com slash free and I'll show you how easily you can do it too. I'll give you five free videos that include my favorite traditional cooking techniques, plus printable at a glance fact sheets as a handy reference. So if you're ready to start looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good, then visit traditionalcookingschool.com free today. About our guest today... 
Her name is Dr. Kayla Daniel. She is otherwise known as the naughty nutritionist because of her ability to outrageously and humorously debunk nutritional myths. She is the vice president of the Weston A. Price Foundation. She's on the board of directors of the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. And she's the author of The Whole Soy Story, The Dark Side of America's Favorite Health Food. And most recently, she's the co-author of a brand new book, which is the topic of today's show, Nourishing Broth, an Old-Fashioned Remedy for the Modern World. She wrote this book with Sally Fallon Morell. They wrote it together. Now, I haven't seen it yet, but my copy is coming soon, and I just can't wait. It looks beautiful on the web, and I know you'll think so, too, when you check out the cover at the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 88. In our upcoming interview, Kayla is going to tell us all about why they wrote it and what you can find in it and much more. So here are some links for you. For the book itself, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash nourishing broth. And for the website and the community devoted to this book, go to nourishingbroth.com. And before I turn to the interview, I want to invite you to share your own broth story in the comments of this episode, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 88. I'd love to hear what broth has done for you. And also at those show notes, you'll find links to broth articles on our blog. And now here's Dr. Kayla Daniel. Hey everyone, this is Wardy, and I'm here today with Dr. Kayla Daniel. Welcome, Kayla. Thank you. It's an honor to be on your show. Oh, I'm just so thrilled. I think it's mutual. I'm just thrilled. Um, I'm so excited to talk about your book, but first, we're going to talk about you. Let's get to know you better. So tell everyone who's listening and me more about you. Well, I'm known as the naughty nutritionist because I like to outrageously and humorously debunk nutritional myths. And there sure are a whole lot of myths out there, including the idea that fat and cholesterol are bad for us or that soy is good for us. And I'm the author of a book called The Whole Soy Story, The Dark Side of America's Favorite Health Food. And a brand new book that I co-authored with Sally Fallon Morell called Nourishing Broth. An old-fashioned remedy for the modern world. I love that. Um, I'm glad I wasn't going to uh, presume and tell everybody about naughty nutritionists. So I'm glad you did because you do you do a lot of work uh, to de- debunk in a very humorous way. Why don't we just, since it's appropriate now, um, tell everyone where your Facebook page is and where you do a lot of this play-by-play activity. I have a Facebook page, Dr. Kayla Daniel, and a website, drkaylaDaniel.com. And want to let people know there's a new website, too, that Sally and I have together, which is nourishingbroth.com. And we're trying to build a whole broth-making community there, with the, the place where people can come in and share recipes and stories and ask questions and, and so forth. Fantastic. I'm making a note of this so I can put it all in the show notes. Nourishingbroth.com, drkaylaDaniel.com. And then, That's right. And then your Facebook page. People can search for Dr. Kayla Daniel. Right. I'll come right up. Okay. Fantastic. So everyone, be sure to check out those links and we will have them at the show notes, which is knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 88. So um, Kayla, I think you're, at least in my mind, to date, you've been most well-known for your work campaigning against soy. And that's a whole other conversation because today you're really here to talk about nourishing old-fashioned broth. 
Um, but before we get into like the, you know, the science and the details of broth, and I just would like to hear what your broth story is like. Do you have anything um, in your life that broth has done for you, people you know? How did broth become such an important topic for you? Well, I have to say I love broth. I love to start my day with a good cup of meat tea. I love a lot of soups and stews. And now that it's fall going into winter, it's the perfect season for that. And they feel very warm and comforting and nourishing. And I think it's no accident that one of the greatest publishing phenomena of all time was Chicken Soup for the Soul. I mean, that very, very title resonates so completely for people. And I think that tells us why Nourishing Broth, our, our new book, should, should also be quite a success, I think. Mm-hmm. People really respond to soups and stews and broth. They sure do. And this is a great time of year for your book to come out. Was that uh, intentional or is that just how it happened? I think it's intentional. Good move. That was a smart move. (laughs) So let's talk about broth. I mean, it's warming. It resonates with people, especially this time of year. But let's go a little bit deeper into what makes broth such a wonderful, nourishing food. A whole lot of people seem to think that, yes, uh, broth is good for us and Homemade food is good for us, and eating soup together with your family is good for us. And, of course, that's all part of it. But a lot of people think that that it's not really all that nourishing, that there can't be science behind it. They think it must be like an old wives' tale. Hmm. Well, you know, um, I hope to be one of those wise old wives because uh, they they often really know what's the truth about things. And for nourishing broth, I was very blessed to have dug up a whole lot of science indicating why, in fact, broth is so healing for so many of us and and why its reputation actually goes back thousands of years. And can you give us some of those some of those reasons? Well, we have very few studies actually on soup. And that's not surprising because unless something can be uh, turned into pills or powder or patented, nobody's going to fund any studies. Mm -hmm. So we don't have any studies per se on broth. But what we do have is a lot of studies from the 19th and early 20th century on gelatin, which is uh, the protein that we find in broth. And that's what makes it jiggly like jello. So we have a lot of studies on gelatin. And more recent studies we have on the components of broth, and they would include things like the amino acids proline and glycine and glutamine, and things like the protein sugars, things like glucosamine and chondroitin sulfate. And a lot of people might be familiar with them as supplements because all the people with osteoarthritis, which is millions and millions of people, are buying those supplements. And so many of us will never have osteoarthritis if we have plenty of homemade broth in our diets. Wow. So you're really saying that people could, are you saying people, well, people could ditch those and have broth instead? They could. And I would suggest at least a cup, perhaps several cups a day and every day. And it does need to be homemade. But we've got quite a bit of science suggesting that the collagen and cartilage and bones in broth do make it very healing for people. 
Well, Kayla, I don't yet have your new book, Nourishing Broth, Old Fashioned Remedy for the Modern World. And this is the book that you co-authored with Sally Fallon Morell. I'm very excited to get it, but because it's not sitting here and I haven't read it, that means it's up to you to tell us uh, what's in it. But before uh, before we talk about what's in it, I want to I want to ask you the why question. Why did you and Sally write this book? What do you hope it's going to do for the modern world? Uh, Nourishing Broth is something of a sequel to Nourishing Traditions, and that, of course, is Sally's best-selling cookbook. And we had many, many people who expressed an interest in knowing more about broth and having more broth recipes, more recipes for soups and stews and other healthy foods, and so we did Nourishing Broth. So one of the, I mean, I have no doubt that you and Sally just have tons of information, but I was a little surprised, you know, a whole book on broth. So you just alluded to that. Tell us about the kinds of broths that you go through, and is it more in-depth or completely different ones than are in nourishing traditions? And then tell us about the soups and stews and the the foods um, that are shared in this book that take that broth component. So tell us about that. Okay, uh, the soups and stews that you would find in nourishing traditions would be would be basics, and we've expanded on that. We've got soups and stews from all over the world, and also a lot of basic different broth recipes, different ways to make broth, different types of broth, uh, asking... Um, well, a lot of people have been asking a lot of questions about how to make broth and make it make it right. A lot of people say, what did I do wrong? My broth has no flavor. What did I do wrong? My broth doesn't um, get jiggly like gelatin. Help, what do I do? So Sally answers those questions. And we were very blessed to get recipes from many, many people. So this is very much a team effort with with many, many people sharing their family's favorite recipes and often stories to go with those. Yeah, that's wonderful. That was going to be my next question was where did the recipes come from? So what did you do? Put out a call for like among the members of the Weston Price Foundation or how, how did that work and how long did that take and what was that process like? We did. We put out a call and probably several calls, uh, both for recipes and also for testimonials. So we got in a whole lot of different recipes from people and also people telling us how broth saved their lives in some cases, uh, cured incurable diseases, uh, prevented the need for, say, knee surgery, reversed uh, autoimmune disorders, many, many stories. We've been so blessed to hear so many stories from so many people. So that just fascinates me, and I would love to hear one that stood out to you as you're reviewing them. What was one story that was just amazing that you read that made it into the book? Um, let's see. The one I'm thinking of, um, I, I just put up on nourishingbroth.com, so that's the one I'm thinking about. But it was an amazing story of feral cats that a couple uh, have a whole lot of feral cats, and because, of course, there's so many of them, they can't possibly afford to pay the medical bills for them. So these cats are very wounded. Uh, they fight. They fall out of trees. Uh, they've had infections, all sorts of health challenges. And uh, the broth included as part of feeding them has done amazing things with healing these cats. Wow, that is fantastic. So are there any that um, any that didn't make it into the book that really stood out to you? 
Um, well, what I'm thinking is we're going to get a whole lot more stories now because that's one of the purposes of having the new website mm -hmm. for people to share the stories, to build a community and to have people talking with each other because many, many people have questions that are perhaps outside my experience or Sally's and other members of our broth-making community can help out. So I'm hoping we'll have a lot of interaction there. So tell us how nourishingbroth.com works. Um, a person visits, and what's, the, what, what's there for them to do, and um, how can they do it? Well, there's contact information, so it's very easy to connect with us. And we want to hear stories, we want to hear questions, and uh, whatever. So there's a frequently asked questions section, and that's where I'm going to be posting questions and answers from, from Sally and me and others. And uh, blogs with news about the latest in broth science and, and anything else that's related to soup. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So I want to let everybody know, again, we'll have links on all these things that Kayla's mentioning at the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 88. And if you want to check out the book, you can go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash nourishing broth, and that will take, it, take you right to it on amazon.com. So Kayla, um, we have some more time here. So I wanted to ask you some practical questions. Um, I thought that the title of the book was really interesting. You call Nourishing Broth the old-fashioned remedy for the modern world. And that's quite a juxtaposition. And so many people in modern world, you know, modern lifestyle, modern activities, they've gotten away from knowing their food, the name of this podcast. They've gotten away from producing food or preserving it or even just really being in touch with it. Um, but what you're attempting to do is to bring that old-fashioned healing, nourishing broth into people's lives in the modern world. So give us some practical tips. Somebody who's not, um, you know, who's completely new to this or finds they're just really busy and the thought of like having broth, you know, regularly making broth or regularly eating broth. Give some tips for how somebody could really um, simply do this in, in the midst of a modern life. Oh, I've got some great tips. And first, I want to bring back to what you started with there, having to do with how so many people are out of touch with their food and the source of their food. And broth is a very important part of nose-to-tail eating mm -hmm. because so many people who, who do eat meat uh, focus on uh, chops and steaks and muscle meats, and they forget about the organ meats, and they forget about using the skin and the carcass and the cartilage. So, of course, we recommend having liver and other organ meats in the diet, but also uh, making a lot of homemade bone broth, and that would be using the bones, and of course, cartilage is attached to the bones, and if you're making, say, chicken soup, there's going to be chicken skins in there, and ideally chicken feet. So that's real nose-to-tail eating. <laughs> Uh, so besides that, I think people, people really should know that broth is the original fast food. Now that may seem hard to believe because it can cook for hours, but the thing is you don't have to stand over the stovetop and watch it for hours. Right. You can do it in a slow cooker or a crock pot. In fact, you can throw in a few basic ingredients in the morning. Uh, turn it on and go to work and come home and your whole house will be fragrant with, with the smells of broth. 
So there's so many ways to make it a fast food. Now, for many people, there may be a few um, new habits to develop as mm-hmm. a first step, but it's it's not that hard. And I just want people to know that that they don't need to consider it a gourmet enterprise that's very complicated. Get a few basic ingredients, a few simple steps, and do it over and over, and your family's going to be very well nourished. I'm so glad you brought out the aspect that broth is the original fast food. I mean, personally, I think it's very easy, and I think you're right. It's it's the getting into the new habit, which is kind of like a mindset shift, but it's not a huge time shift or a time element because broth is simple. It's very down-home and healthy. It's not gourmet or complicated, so it's just bring it into your routine and that mental hurdle is the hard part the actual doing of it is not because it literally you know in the crock pot it does just make itself so I'm so glad so glad you mentioned that so let's get a little bit more specific Um, how about you give us a very quick get started recipe a lot of our listeners are probably on a mobile with ear pods right now and so here's a challenge to you (laughs) if you're able not a challenge to you Kayla challenge to anybody who's listening right now but pop in your earbuds and Kayla's going to walk you through how to do it. So get up and go to your kitchen and start pulling these things out. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to rise to this challenge and I'm going to explain how I run a very busy household and yet I'm making broth each week and how easy it is. Great. Now, typically on a Sunday, I will roast a chicken. And um, that's a very simple uh, project as well. I'll roast a chicken, uh, roast some, uh, do some baked potatoes at the same time, and we'll enjoy a very delicious Sunday meal. So the next day, there will, in our house, probably still some breast meat. So I'll cut some of that off and we'll make something else. Maybe it'll be chicken salad. Maybe it'll be a curry dish. And if it's a curry dish, I may end up using some broth in the sauce there. But that's that's another thing. But anyway, so I've already got two meals out of that chicken. And at this point, I've got a carcass and there's still some meat on there. So at this point is when I'm going to start my broth making. So that carcass goes into my soup pot or it's going to go into, into a crock pot. Uh, usually we get a pretty small chicken because I have a small family. But uh, large chicken, small chicken, same principle. It goes into the stock pot or goes into the slow cooker. And all I have to do to make broth is I'll add a couple chicken feet from my freezer. So I'll add them to make sure that the broth I make is good and jiggly uh, gelatin. And I'll add a little bit of vinegar because that helps pull the minerals and the collagen and so forth out of the bones. And I'll add a little onion and a little celery. Typically, that's all I'll do. Maybe some garlic. But it's that simple, and that makes the broth. And at some point, I'll cut the chicken all off and what's left. And I'll take the broth, and maybe I'll make chicken rice soup. That'll be our third chicken meal. And the chicken rice soup will be very simple. I will make rice instead of the water. I will use some of that broth. And then I'll cook up some fresh onions, some carrots, and some celery. And um, that's going to be pretty much my chicken rice soup. Extremely basic, but very satisfying. Oh, and it sounds so good. I could sure use some of that right now. (laughs) And it's good, and it's so simple. Um, Sometimes we might make minestrone, or sometimes it might be something else with that chicken broth. Uh, There's so many recipes we can use, but the, the basic making of it 
is as simple as I just said. I just throw some things together, uh, don't measure or anything else, and it's always good. And the thing is, is it came off of having a chicken dinner and then a second chicken meal, and it's like what was left over, you turned into a soup. I did. And it was so simple. And if there's a secret to what I did making the broth good, it's adding the chicken feet. Because when I roasted that chicken, there would have been some gelatin uh, in the pan. And, of course, we're eating that up then and there. Right. So there's going to be less gelatin ending up in the broth than if, say, I started with a raw chicken in the in the stock pot. So since I already roasted the chicken, I find it a priority to add a few more uh, bones that would provide gelatin or chicken feet, which are the ideal ones for, for giving us extra gelatin. Right. Now talk to us a little bit about the chicken feet, um, because maybe people aren't very familiar with this idea. I mean, it adds gelatin, but how would somebody go about getting a supply of chicken feet for the freezer to have on hand to add a couple to the pot? I mentioned the freezer because for a lot of us, it's not easy to buy chicken feet in our regular stores, whether it's the health food store or a regular supermarket. And something that might surprise people is that most of the chicken feet from commercial chickens in the United States are not consumed here at all. They're all sent to China because the Chinese are the biggest consumers of chicken soup of any people in the world. Now, you'd think it would be the Israelis because, uh, you know, chicken soup is Jewish penicillin, but it's actually the Chinese. Hmm. But that gets us back to the question of um, how to get chicken feet. So that's going to depend on uh, where you live. Uh, It may help to know your farmer or maybe your farmer doesn't even have chicken feet. So some of us have to order from far away. So we might want to get a fairly large shipment, and that's why we may be freezing. In my case, there is a a market on the other side of Albuquerque. It's about 25 minutes from where I live, but I will stock up on chicken feed and uh, chicken gizzards and some other things that uh, are not found in, say, Whole Foods Market or my local co-op where I'm actually able to get quite a lot of pastured uh, beef and lamb and chicken as well as some other good products. Thank you for that. So we're coming up on the end of our time here, but before I let you go, I just wanted to talk about something that's coming up. You're going to be speaking soon at a conference on the science behind bone broth. So tell us about the conference and um, how and when listeners can get involved with that. Yes, I'll be speaking at the Wise Traditions Conference in Indianapolis. That's early November. And uh, the The conference will be attended by about probably 1,200 people. It's quite large and maybe more. And we've got many speakers, many tracks, uh, no matter what your interest is in terms of a real foods uh, diet or lifestyle, you're going to get the help you need. Uh, Going to meet many prominent um, healers, nutritionists, scientists, uh, and it's an incredible community event. We, we not only give you presentations, but we feed you, which is so exciting. And the food is always very, very good. Families are welcome, and you see a lot of beautiful, beautiful, healthy babies. And uh, it's quite an um, interactive and supportive event. People really have a good time. Yes, I concur with all of that. I've been to one in 2011. It was a highlight of that year and the food is excellent the 
teaching is excellent. The interaction is excellent. It was just a wonderful event. So everyone, I'll have a link to that, um, the Wise Traditions conference information in the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 88, along with all the other links we've mentioned. Kayla, thank you so much for spending your time with us and sharing about your new book. And I wish you all the success with that, you and you and Sally both. And I just thank you so much for visiting with me. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope to see you again soon. Let me tell you what you can do next. You can visit the show notes for this episode. Just go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash, and then without a space, just type the number of this episode. You'll get links and much more information about what we've been talking about. You can submit questions for future episodes. I love to answer your questions on the air. So go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash questions to submit them. You can stop by traditionalcookingschool.com to get five free traditional cooking videos from me. And finally, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, the podcast app, or Stitcher. If you're on a mobile device, just search for Know Your Food with Warty while you're in the app. If you're on a desktop, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash iTunes right in your browser. While you're there, please do leave a rating or review. I love to get them, love to read your comments, and they're invaluable to help other people find this podcast. Thank you so much.